Please turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. Today we'll read verses 10 through 14. The thought occurs to me that for some of you, this will kind of be like walking on the last 10 minutes of a movie. We, we have been studying in this uh, epistle for quite some time. Uh, but when you walk in on the last 10 minutes of a movie, you may not get a whole lot out of it. Uh, sometimes it makes you think, hey, I want to see that movie. And I hope maybe this will put a, uh, a burning in your heart for more of 1 Peter. But uh, I think there is something here for us to have, even as a uh, singular uh, text for us to consider. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verses 10 through 14. Please follow along in your copy of God's word as I read aloud. This is the word of the living God. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on his word. God, we come to you asking that you would add your blessing to the reading, to the preaching of your word. Lord, we desire this morning not to hear a lecture from a man, but to hear the voice of Christ. We pray, Lord, that your word would clearly be presented to us. Hide the preacher behind the cross of Calvary. Show us our Lord. We pray this, that we might be sanctified. We pray that sinners might be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, Pastor Brent was telling us about an assessment that he did through his health insurance company at work. You didn't know that was going to be part of the sermon. Surprise. Uh, this, this test is to determine how long we might expect to have Pastor Brent around. <laughs> it's, uh, the, the test is called uh, the real age test, and, and it's meant to show how quickly you're aging in your current lifestyle. Uh, the idea is that there can be, after they determine how quickly you're aging, there can be suggestions of changes that you can implement adjustments to your diet, to your exercise, to your lifestyle. And those things they feel will likely produce a longer life. I also took an assessment just like that this week. And I found that like most people my age, I'm 52. This letter that we have as it comes to a close we have seen Peter giving us life advice life ad advice on how to live in this world and, and it's not meant unlike our assessments that we take for our health insurance it's not meant to give us a longer life 
It's not meant to give us an easier life. We know along with Peter that these things are in the decree of God. But Peter is telling us how to live the best life that we can on this earth. His instruction is no guarantee for ease. As a matter of fact, Peter all but guarantees us difficulty in life. Suffering, pain is part and parcel to life on this planet. Peter is honest enough to tell us that we may suffer even for doing good. We may have unreasonable bosses. We may have difficult government officials. We may have overbearing spouses. Peter paints no rosy picture but he gives us the realities of life. And in light of the realities that we face in this life, Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us the best way to live as a Christian in this world. Though there is no guarantee of peace or ease in their life, what Peter offers is the best possibility for life. And... The, the life that he offers up for us, these, these things that he instructs us in, do offer a guarantee of eternal blessing. As we come to the close of 1 Peter, I have an urge to review the ground that we've covered in this epistle to stir up again in our mind the Christian way of living. But... My fear is that we would get high center here at the end of this letter. So I will forego the review, but let me encourage you, each of you, especially members of Waco family. Let me encourage you to read this letter from beginning to end. Read it in its entirety in one sitting. Not right now. I saw something like, okay. No, not right now. But, but in your Bible reading time, in your time this week, Reading the letter of reading first Peter will only take you about 20 minutes. There's an old statistic that says Americans watch TV an average of three hours of a day, three hours of television every day. So just take 20 minutes this week and read through first Peter for the health of your soul. What a great benefit that will be for you. For today, we'll not review, but we will pick up in verse 10 and we'll finish out this study with these amazing final verses. In light of all the difficulties that Christians will face in life, Peter offers us this advice. And what does he offer us as comfort, as consolation for the soul? What is the motivation to press on in Christ? What is the reward for not growing weary in well-doing? The reward that is presented for us here at the end of this letter is nothing more and nothing less than God himself. We have in verse 10 a sentence, a statement, and it is a statement about God that God will be God. God will be God and he will direct his grace and his mercy toward his own people. So I'd like for us to look at this sentence and, and to break it down. It's been a long time since some of us have, 
diagram sentences, so we won't do that. But we'll, we're going to break this sentence down and understand the details of what's being said here. Every phrase is important. At its basic level, the sentence is this, God will. God will. God, God is doing so. This is the most basic sentence, subject and verb. All the other phrases uh, and, and words here will better explain what God will do. It will better explain this basic sentence. These other phrases will answer questions like who, what, and when. The who, what, and when of the God will sentence. This sentence, God will, this is a promise which we are called as Christians to believe, to love, to hope in. The deceiver is working in the world. We, we saw last week and, and in the weeks past that Satan is like a hungry lion hunting for prey. But God is also working in the world and God has the lion, the devil on a leash. God is at work. Scripture tells us he never sleeps. He never slumbers. What God wills to do, God will do. So we ask, when? When? We're, we're oppressed. We're suffering. We, we have so much of this world that weighs down on us. When? Verse 10 answers this. It says, after you have suffered a little while. After you have suffered a little while. When suffering comes, Christians don't think that God has forgotten or abandoned his children. When suffering comes, it is to be expected. It is business as usual in this world. And it's after the suffering that we will see what God will do. So it's after you have suffered. And, and it says after you have suffered a little while. It's only a little while. Now in the midst of suffering, we may be tempted to think that the suffering will never end. Doesn't it feel like that? <laughs> this will never end. This will always be this way. But in reality, suffering is only temporary. Suffering is only a little while. Only a little while. Now I'm reminded of how we think when we are children. Thinking as a child is no shame when you are a child. And when we are children, we think in a certain way. What, what is the question on every child's lips on every driving vacation? Are we there yet? Is this over? What, they're suffering in that back seat. They're, they're suffering and they want to know when is this going to end? When is this over? I remember as a child, thinking about the long and arduous journey to go to town, which was nine miles away. It seemed so long, it seemed that it would never end. I think about how time passed slowly between Thanksgiving break, and then we went back to school, but Christmas break is coming, and they always said, it's gonna be very soon. It seemed like an eternity. It seemed forever because from a child's perspective, from, from my childish perspective in that moment, I thought it took so long. And Christians, often we have a childish perspective. We may think our suffering will never end, but we must believe this promise. Suffering will only be for a little while. And after that, God 
will. God will. So verse 10 answers the question for us when. Now some of you wanted a date. You wanted to write it on your calendar. God doesn't give us that. But we know it's after a little while. It also answers for us the who question. I mean it says God will. The, the, the name God is used by so many to mean so many different things. But here Peter by these statements answers the question who is this God? And in doing so, Peter highlights praiseworthy attributes of the God who is. He says, the God of all grace. The God of all grace. Peter begins this letter with grace. If we remember back in chapter 1 and verse 2, Peter prays for his readers that grace and peace would be theirs in the fullest measure. And now he ends in chapter 5 and verse 10 where he's reminding us here that God is the God of all grace. Common graces to all undeserving humanity come from the hand of of God. And the amazing grace which comes to the elect through the person and work of Jesus Christ flows from the decree and the character of God. He is truly the God of all grace. Sometimes we marvel at different attributes of God. We marvel at His justice. We marvel at His wrath. We, we marvel, but we should forever be captured in our attention forever we should be caused to wonder at the amazing grace of the God of all grace he is the God of all grace then we are reminded he is the God of all grace but not only that this this is a general statement right he's the God of all grace Common graces that go to everyone. That's not personal enough. Peter says, no, let me make this personal. He's the God of all grace. But this God is the God who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This is personal for us. This, this is for every Christian who our God is. Now, there are two kinds of callings that we see in Scripture. Two kinds of calling. And here he's speaking about a specific kind of calling that is for Christians. One kind of calling that, that Peter's not speaking of here is a calling that you hear from me. You hear from gospel preachers as they present the Lord Jesus Christ. They make a calling. We, we recognize this calling uh, as the call of John the Baptist, as the call of the apostles. It may sound like repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It may sound like believe on Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. And these calls, this calling goes forth often and it goes forth broadly for it goes forth to everyone. And this call that is broad and frequent is frequently ignored. It is frequently rejected. Who will listen? This is a call that is the commission and the command to be obeyed by every preacher. But that we, we know that many on the broad way will despise this call. It's a general call. But this call that Peter speaks of is the other kind of calling in Scripture. It's what Bible students call the effectual 
calling. Now, the term effectual calling, if you do a search in your Bible, you will not find that term effectual calling. But the concept of an effectual call is very clear in Scripture. There is a calling which comes not from the mouth of a man, but which comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And it's a calling that is not rejected because that calling by God's Holy Spirit is accompanied by the other saving graces, such as regeneration. The sinner who receives this call from the Holy Spirit answers it in repentant faith in Jesus Christ. The faith becomes the instrument of his salvation. Oh, lost friend, we pray that you would hear this calling even today. That you would repent and believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sin. The outward call is not enough. Listen for the inward call of the Holy Spirit. Christians, this effectual calling that we that every believer has received is a gift. It's a gift for each one of you. You have been given this gift from God, not because of anything that is in you, not because of anything that you have done solely by the unmerited favor of God, solely by his grace. The God of all grace has called you by his grace to his eternal glory in Christ. This is the God who Peter speaks of. This is the God who we serve. What vast blessing to be called of God. Listen to what John Gill says speaking on this effectual call. This call is not mere a mere external one by the ministry of the word, which is not always effectual unto salvation. But it is an internal, special, and efficacious one. That means it works. And it is high and holy and heavenly and unchangeable. The persons who are the subjects of it are us. Whom God has chosen in Christ. And are preserved in Him. And redeemed by Him. Who are a select people. And distinguished from others. Yet in themselves no better than others, yea, often the vilest, meanest, and most contemptible. Christians, we dare not ever think that we deserved the calling of God. It is only by His grace. This God of all grace, the God who has called you, will, and we have here Four nearly synonymous verbs outlining this great work of God for his people. He will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Now that could be a four-week sermon series right there. But we're not going to do that. But let's just talk for a minute about perfecting, confirming, strengthening, and establishing. This work that God will do after you have suffered for a little while. These statements should be understood. It's, it's not that God has done. Christians, don't we love to talk about what God has done? Isn't it great to talk about what God has done? What he has accomplished? What is in the past? But these statements should be understood as future statements. This is future things. This is what God will do. And this is not a statement. This is not a statement that is that is a prayer of something that might happen. Now today. Our brother prayed for rain. You prayed for more important rain from God, but you prayed for rain as well. And that might happen. Last Sunday, your prayer was answered. We, we pray for things that might happen. 
That is not what we have here. This is not something that we pray for as though there is some possibility that God will do these things. And Peter prays, yes, Lord, that these things will come to fruition. No, these are to be understood more like a promise. God will. Better, God shall. And we lose that word, but there is a, there is a definite in that word. God shall. If, if this is a prayer... It is a prayer of the firmly established, unalterable will of God, and we pray after His will. God shall perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This perfecting, this finishing, completing, finishing the work which God has begun. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. This is, this is what is spoken of here. And, and this is not a future work with respect to our justification. I want you to catch up. This is future work of God. This is what God will do in the future. And it is not a future work of God with respect to our justification. Somebody says, why? that's done our justification is done our justification is completed it was completed by Christ in his life and in his death on Calvary's cross you will never be more saved Christian but your sanctification which is in part which is in progress and the glorification that we look for on that final day those things are still to come and those things will be completed will be perfected confirmed strengthened and established in you just think of that word strengthen we see this here that that God will strengthen this is a statement about God strengthening believers and it makes an assumption what's the assumption We are weak. Some of you say, well, I don't feel weak. Well, well, first, Christian, we're not weak in our state or in our condition. Our souls are hid in the cleft of the rock. We are in him. We are kept in him. We are not weak in that way. God is our fortress and our strong tower. We are not weak like lost men. We are not weak like we once were when we were lost. We're not all alike weak. Some are weak in knowledge. Some are weak in faith. Some are weak in conscience. Some are weak in being drawn away by corruptions and temptations. This weakness doesn't speak of a physical weakness, but a spiritual weakness. Oh, that God would, and we can pray with confidence, knowing that this is his will. Oh, that God would strengthen our souls, strengthen us to perform our duty to him, to perform our duty to one another, strengthen us to resist temptations, to stand against corruption, corruption without and corruption within. Strengthen us to bear the cross which he has designed for us. Strengthen us to stand under persecutions and sufferings. Oh, that God would strengthen us. Weak as we are. And establish you. Again, listen to Gil. 
Christians are very often unstable in their hearts and frames and in the exercise of grace and discharge of duty and in their adherence to the doctrines of the gospel and need to be established and to have a more firm persuasion of the interest in the love of God and a more steady view of their standing in Christ and the covenant of his grace and a more lively and comfortable exercise of grace on him and a more constant discharge of duty and a more firm and closer adherence to truths and ordinances of the gospel. Does anybody hear that and say, yes, I need that. That's what I need. Brothers and sisters, this is what God, after we have suffered for a little while, will, shall do. He shall establish you. How does the God of the universe do these things? How does the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords accomplish what he will do? We can understand something about kings. We don't have kings in our country, but we understand how Men of power get things accomplished. We can understand how a king might do something. He would send a messenger. He would send a soldier. He would send a workman. Send representatives and ambassadors. This is a familiar way for us of how a king might do a thing. But our text gives us another promise found in this word. Himself. God will himself. Now, grammatically, take, take himself out of this sentence. It's still a good sentence. It's still a good sentence. We, we don't need this word grammatically. It's not there to, to shore that up in that way. This is a perfectly fine sentence and full of blessing and full of hope without the word himself. Why is it here? We don't want to miss what this word himself communicates to us. In a single word, we find here that God will not outsource his work. God will not phone it in. He will do these things and he will do it himself. Christian, just, just take a minute to glory in the difference between God will do this for you and God will do this for you himself. wonder that this leads to doxology, that this leads to verse 11 to him be dominion forever and ever. Now, now some read this as the entire, that verses 10 and 11 all being wrapped up in this worshipful statement and I think that's a great way for us to understand this. To him be dominion forever. This, this is a summation of all that comes before. It is ascribing to God what is already his. And ascribing to God what is already his demonstrates his work in the heart of man. How fitting to ascribe to the king of kings, to the one whose kingdom has no end, to the one who rules and reigns over all. How fitting it is to ascribe to him dominion. To him be dominion forever. 
Then the letter closes and we have these final remarks. Now I've told you in, in past times, at the beginning and ending of the letters of the New Testament, I used to just skip over those things because they're just like opening and closing. I'm not here for that. I'm just here for the meat. Can I tell you something? There's good stuff in, in these openings and closings. Don't miss this. He says here in verse 12, through Sylvanus, our brother, then, then he mentions later Mark. Even in these closing comments, we, we learn that the apostle Peter, and we could say the same thing about the apostle Paul because we see things in his letters that are similar, but, but, but the apostle Peter teaches us in this closing that the Christian path is not to be walked alone. He mentions Sylvanus, he mentions Mark, he mentions those others who are in uh, the church there in Rome. Verse 12 through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. Some, some believe Sylvanus to be the same as Silas that we met in Acts. And Silas is a shortened name for the name Sylvanus. Like you might think of Peter being shortened to Pete, Michael being shortened to Mike. Sylvanus is shortened to Silas. And some think, think that this is the same man in it. You know, I'm not going to get on you if you think that, but it, it is a common name and it's likely not the same man because he would now be old. He would now be really up in age when we see uh, the time that has passed. Some have, some have doubted that Peter wrote this epistle for various stupid reasons. They say, well, this should be assigned to Sylvanus that he wrote it himself. Let me just point out to you one thing. If Sylvanus wrote this letter, how odd is it that he just wrote about a section about humility and now we find just a few lines later that he wrote about himself that he is a faithful brother? Or so I regard him. <laughs> it seems clear that Peter is the author of the letter. This statement about writing through Sylvanus, what does this mean? Well, it, it could mean that Sylvanus served as kind of Peter's secretary, that he took down the letter as Peter dictated it. Or it could mean that Sylvanus was the one who delivered the letter and Peter wanted to commend him as a faithful brother in case those who received the letter had questions or needed clarification. You can ask Sylvanus, he is a faithful brother and he would know how to answer your questions. So he writes through Sylvanus. This next statement, this next statement you'll recognize it's been the close of most of the sermons as we preached in this letter. I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Some of you are wondering, where have I heard that before? Well, at the end of most of the sermons through 1 Peter. And this statement, this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. it. It certainly applies to what comes immediately before, but it really applies to the entirety of the letter. The whole thing is the true grace of God. The whole letter is to be observed, to be standing firm in it. Verse 13, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greeting. Uh, and so does my son, Mark. Here, Babylon is a nickname for Rome. 
Peter sends greetings from the saints in Rome, including Mark. And this would be the same Mark who penned the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark has sometimes been called the Gospel of Peter due to the fact that Peter would have been Mark's primary source. Verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Greet one another with a kiss of love. The manliest of men in the room just got scared. Oh no. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Now this would be a kiss on the cheek. Probably a touching of cheeks and not a touching of lips. And this would symbolize a closeness, a brotherly love between fellow Christians. And we see this sort of thing in our day, in our, in our society. I, I think we do. I think we can see a handshake be that among Christian brothers, the, what the old boys call the right hand of Christian fellowship. It may be a hug, a gesture that reveals affection one with another, a closeness. Now, Christians, sometimes we say things like, well, I'm a hugger. But we need to understand, and I think we do, sometimes a hug is awkward and out of place. I mean, sometimes it is the, the checkout person at the grocery store. That's that's out of place. Sometimes that is out of place. A stranger would not be one whom we would hug. We hug those whom we love. By the way, the same can be said in how we refer to one another brothers, sisters. Those titles are, are not just terms for anyone. Those are familial terms. Not familiar terms, but familial. Part of, part of the family of God. Those are familial, familial terms which express closeness and affection shared by the children of God. We greet each other with a show of Closeness and relationship. I would, I would like to add something here. Uh, I wrote in my notes, brothers. So I guess this is primarily for men. I, I'm thinking of you when I write this. It, it could apply also to women. Before, brothers, before you hug a sister in Christ, certainly before you greet her with a, with a kiss. Make sure you're not inserting yourself somewhere that you're not wanted. This is not just something that we do. This is the outpouring of relationship. If the relationship's not there, don't go there. Build a relationship. So much more that I want to say here that we don't have time for. See me after. Some of us, the point is, some of us need to learn to step back and to wait and to learn that these gestures follow a close personal relationship of brotherhood and sisterhood. And then Peter's epistle closes with these words. Peace be to all of you 
who are in Christ Jesus. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. God, we come to you praying for peace. Knowing that you and you alone can grant it to our hearts. That you and you alone can put it in us to be at peace. And we only find peace through you. We only find peace because we are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we pray for those who are not in Christ Jesus that you would grant to them the saving graces, that you would draw them to Jesus Christ and repent of faith. And we pray for brothers and sisters in Christ that we would that we would live in the joy of our salvation. God, we we pray that all that we have studied in this epistle you would bring to bear in our hearts. You, the God of all grace, who has called us, would continue to pour out your grace and your mercy on your people. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake.